Well, I wonder when the last time that you heard a preacher say, we're beginning a series in the book of Revelation. If you were here in, uh, I think it was maybe 03, we did a series in the book of Revelation. The difference there was I began in chapter 4 and went to the end of the book. This time we're going to go beginning in chapter 1 and we're going to go through chapter 6. We'll only overlap the two chapters 4 and 5. Let me explain the, the plan and why it came out to be the way it is. As I thought last year at the end of the year, moving into this year, what is it that, uh, that we need to focus on? What's the need of the church? Where is our heart? What is our needs? And it just seemed to me that we needed the message that everything is going to be all right. I know as probably few of you do, just how many, many painful occurrences and issues and situations in life is going on among the people of this church. And I certainly only know a fraction. But I know that there is a craving among us if we could just know that everything would be all right. It's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to back it up. Give some evidence. Give something that convinces me that everything's going to be all right. Don't just tell me. Don't just say, oh, yeah, it's going to be all right. Don't do that. But if you're going to do it, you tell me why is it going to be all right. How is it going to be all right? As I thought of that, I thought there was no text of Scripture that I could even imagine could come close to being able to give us a sense of rightness in even all things than chapters 4 and chapters 5 of the book of Revelation. And as I was preparing to do that this week to, to begin with chapter 4, I had a snow week like you did, and I was bound at home and nowhere to go morning, noon, and uh, afternoon and night to be in my office as long as I wanted to and, and to study and think and prepare. And as the more I did so, I saw chapters 4 and 5, and I went, Oh, no, 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 no. We, we can't use it now. This is just too ideal for Palm Sunday and Easter. That's what we need to do. So then I thought, well, what do I do until then? And I began to read through the first three chapters of Revelation. You know, there is a reason why God put chapters 1, 2, and 3 prior to chapters 4 and 5. And I bet if many of us read chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches, we'd probably say, why were those stuck in there? This is a revelation so that we might understand God's big picture, the big plan that God has. Now, what was that about in chapters 2 and 3? We're going to learn that later this morning. But the more I looked at it, I said, you know, this is what we need. We need to start with chapter 1. And let's go through chapter 5, the, the balance we, we can make available from previous teaching for those that say, I really want to continue on. But this is going to be a series that we will entitle, Everything is Going to Be All Right. Many of you remember eight or so years ago in the Iraq War. We, I have a friend that was 
in the armed forces at the time. He was stationed in Tampa, Florida, and he was a part of the headquarters of intelligence that's based there in Tampa. He had the opportunity each day to to be in the room with General Franks, to have all the information, the data that the highest of our military leadership were getting regarding that war. He called me one day and he said, Are you at, do you have access to a, a television right now? I said, I do. He said, turn it on. Watch what you're about to see. Just, just hit one of the major stations. Watch what you're about to see. Many of you remember the story of Jessica Lynch, a young lady who had been taken hostage. It was assumed that she would die. Others were being, were being killed at the same time. And, and what do you think their parents were assuming during those days and, and, and hours even of that day? Maybe they were informed what was going to happen. I don't know. Maybe they were even there. But let's assume they weren't. You can imagine that his parents, they're saying, oh, my goodness, we're going to maybe lose our daughter. Just the heart would be just wrenched with pain and anxiety and wonder and confusion. Not so for those inside the headquarters because they knew what was about to happen. There was about to be a rescue, and they assumed this was going to be a successful rescue as it was. Do you know all the difference in the world and being inside that headquarters understanding and observing what's about to happen, having it all planned out versus having no idea whatsoever but deeply invested in the pain of what was going on. Let me tell you, folks, that's what the book of Revelation is for us. It is the prior information to know what is going to happen, understanding its purpose and design with the idea that everything is going to be all right. It really is. So we're going to begin on this, on this journey. There's a book that has been very, very influential to me. It's called More Than Conquerors. Many of you will want to get it, I'm sure. I'm going to later give you an outline for that book to help you read it if you choose to take it. 34 years ago, I was just moving to Atlanta. One of my mentors, many of you have met him, Frank Barker. He handed me a book. It was More Than Conquerors by one of my favorite commentators of Scripture. William Hendrickson, now with the Lord. But if ever there is a, if ever there's a text I'm going through and I know that he has written on that text, I'm going to read what he has to say. Incredible insight. Great clarity. He handed me this book and he said, you read this book as you read the book of Revelation. Read a little bit of the of the Revelation, and then read a little bit of Hendrickson's book that corresponds to it. Just go back and forth. Make that your personal worship over the next uh, weeks or months, however long it takes you. And then he made this prediction. He says, I will predict that this will be the most significant, important, special personal worship time that you have had. When I finish that, I without question would say, It was the most special time I've had. It was only a few years ago that I said, I'm going to go back through it. I did it again. Had the same impact on me. Boy, has it just indelibly imprinted my thinking because I I now understand and get a picture of 
the plan that God has. So much different living this life without knowing that plan and living the life with it. Now, I do not know, I do not know how it may have happened, but I'm sure there was conversation among the persons of the triune Godhead. Three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and they certainly interact with each other. I can only imagine, and I'll invite you to imagine, what would happen? What, what was going on? I mean, just moments previous to the giving of the revelation to the church of Jesus Christ through the Apostle John. I have no way of knowing. But I know it would be consistent with the introduction that we're going to look at today and next week. Of what we read right here, it could have been something like this. Perhaps it was Jesus speaking to the Father and saying, Father, look at our people. They are they're in such confusion and turmoil. They, they just can't, they can't get it. They don't understand what's happening. They're interpreting everything in their personal experience to be one thing, and it's something so other. They just don't know, do they? And then maybe the Holy Spirit speaking and saying, and, and the church collectively, Father, look at the church. There's such intimidation by the world. There's such confusion. Now that Jesus has, has left and come back, and, and now the persecution as it increases, they're beginning to wonder whether this church really has the future that's been promised. They're in such confusion and turmoil, such doubt. No power. Maybe then the father might respond by saying something like this, yes. But I know we, each of us, can't wait until we now deliver the revelation of you, Jesus. Your revelation. When that revelation is given to our people, oh, is it not going to be wonderful to see their hearts lightened? To see their insight increase, to see the joy that comes over. Isn't it going to be wonderful when they get that book? Maybe then Jesus would comment about his beloved John and say, oh, and I'm so happy for John. Is it not going to blow his mind when, when he has this vision and this revelation is given to him? Can you imagine now that he is in exile at Patmos? And all that he's going through and wondering what's happening to the church and is it really true that, that the church will prevail as it's been promised to do? And, and look at his doubts and confusions and questions and wonderment. Boy, it's going to be special when my beloved John gets this blessed revelation. Maybe then the Holy Spirit would say something like this. Say, and Jesus, I know that it's going to be very soon that you're, that you're going to return for the second time. How special is that? But you know, in the, in the minds and in the, the sight of our people, it's going to seem as if forever. And because it won't happen in the lifetime of every generation, only one, the final one, they're going to be, they're going to be so confused about this. They, they won't really get it, will they? But, but at least to us, it's, it's as the blink of one of their eyes. 
It's going to be so quick, but I know for them it'll seem forever. How much more important that they get this revelation and they keep that plan before them at all times. Maybe it would be with that that the father would say to Jesus, the son, son, here's the revelation. It's now time. Let's go with it. And with that, Jesus summons an angel and says, come angel, it's time. This is what we've been waiting for. And with that, he gives him, as he receives it from the father, he gives it to the angel and says, now, go deliver. And then John is caught up in the spirit. And he sees the revelation and he records what he's written. We know this. The first eight verses tell us how God wanted this revelation of Jesus to be introduced to his people. And so let's do this. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 1. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by an angel to his bondservant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our own sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Christian, this is the word of God. We believe it. Let's jump into it. I have seven learnings from the text that we can plow through. We won't make it through all of them. We'll assume we'll stop at number four. Whatever the case, we stop on time. So we'll go as far as we can get, all right? Interesting, interesting insights. Number one, the revelation is of Jesus Christ communicated by an angel to the apostle John, the first two verses. Let's read it again. Repetition will help us. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's interesting. Which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. He sent and communicated by an angel to his bondservant John who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ even to all that he saw. I like the way Hendrickson views this. He says it's kind of like a chain with its many links. And you see these links. It begins with the Father. Isn't it interesting? The Father is the one that has the revelation that he gives to Jesus. 
Jesus, the second link. But it's interesting that this is referred to as the revelation of Jesus. Well, the Father gave it, but it's known as the revelation of Jesus. Wonder why that would be. The answer is because it is going to be because of the work of Jesus that this revelation will be realized, as I will explain a little bit at the end of this message, and will explain in full on Easter Sunday. The second link of the chain, the angel. The angel gets it, and the angel then takes it to the next link, which is John. And then John writes what he sees. Now, we're going to hold the chain there for just a moment and look at number two. Our second our second truth, the revelation is an unveiling of the plan of God for the history of the world and especially the church. The beginning of verse 1, it says, to show, and then it says, the things which must soon take place. Now, let's think about it. The things which must soon take place? Don't you imagine that people read the revelation and say, whoa, doesn't seem too soon to me. And, and you know, you could make the comparison of the twinkling of the eye in a thousand years and all, I mean, the blink of an eye in a thousand years and so forth and so on, a second to a thousand years. And, but the reality is this is saying that what is being recorded here, it is about to begin. We're going to look at this a little bit more in a minute, but, but it's about to begin now. And in its fullness, it's being revealed. It's all happening now. And it's going to all happen in the next generation. And it's going to all happen in the next generation. It's going to happen throughout the history of the church, through the history of this world, outside the coming of Jesus and the judgment that follows. Everything recorded here is something that has been given to the church at all times and in all places. That's very important to know. Many, many, many of us, whatever exposure we've had to the book of Revelation has been quite other. It's been the idea that there's this special creature that's going to exist at a certain time in history. And then he'll be revealed. And then there's a certain nation. And, and at some point in time in history, it's going to be revealed. And that nation's going to come in and it's going to do certain things to the rest of the world. And then this is going to happen, and this event, and then this person, and this, and it's all documented in history when it's going to happen. And so what we say is, yeah, you know, this is going to be a great understanding for the people that live in the generation when Jesus comes back. But for everybody else, what real difference does it make? Now, many of us have been exposed to writings, very popular writings. There's the, the writing of Left Behind, the series, many of you we're involved in reading that series. God has his place and use for that series. If you're older, you may remember the great late planet Earth. I know in the 1980s, it was, it was the number one selling book in the history of the world outside the Bible. Ever. I'm telling you, every Christian and most non-Christians were reading that book and they were hearing a perspective as if, as if there's going to be this creature that comes and this nation that does this and this is going to happen, that's going to happen and all these amazing things. But basically it was used more in the fear of people to say, I better get right with God. 
Well, there's a truth in that, and we all should. But folks, know this. That is not the reason the book of Revelation is written. It is written to give comfort to God's people. It is written to scream out to us, everything is going to be all right. Don't buy what you're seeing. There is another story. It's the bigger plan. It is called the revelation of Jesus. If we look at our third teaching, there is a blessing on those who appropriately use the revelation. It says in verse 3, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Now, this is the first of seven Beatitudes. We just had a series not too long ago on the Beatitudes. It's a blessing. Blessing here means happiness, fulfillment. Now, is there significance to the fact there's seven? I would think so. I know this through the whole of the book of Revelation. You're going to see numbers to be very, very important. I'm going to give you a writing that's going to help you a lot understand the numerology of the book of Revelation. Make a lot of things come clear. Seven, perfection, God. Is there a, a reason? Maybe, maybe not. No one can say for sure. But I know this. This is a beatitude. It is a promise of blessing. And the promise is to, one, the lector. That's the one that speaks it. You see, back in the day when the scriptures were given, there weren't many copies. In fact, at first, there was only the autograph, the original. It had to be copied, and then those had to be copied. And so the populace at large could not just take it and read it. So they would gather in groups, and they would listen, and the lector would actually speak it, would read it to the people. And so here's the next in that chain. It goes to the lector. And the lector is going to be blessed as he takes this and utilizes it in an appropriate way. Then it comes to the very end of the chain, and it is for those that hear. In our case, we get to read it. You're listening to it now. It says, for those who do so and who heed what they see in it, they embrace it, they hold on to it, there is a blessing. I will guarantee you that there is a large, large, large number of us here that say, I rarely would think of the book of Revelation. I understand very little of it. I'm confused by it, and it just doesn't affect my day-to-day living. It really doesn't. And then when the natural disasters occur, when the political upheavals take place, or the governmental rulings that so cut across the grain of what anybody would logically ever conceive of doing, And we just see them and we have our own commentary on it. We think about it. We assume this and we wonder about that. But oh, how that changes when we understand the plan and all of these things have already been explained and understood through the revealing of the revelation of Jesus. Now there's a whole different attitude. I'm so thankful for how many times through the years since I first read that book and the revelation of Jesus and began to understand it that now I see and I go, hmm, not good but everything's going to be all right. Why do I believe that? Because I believe what it says here. And many of you do too. The problem is we haven't really understood it. We're not hanging on to it. We're not not exposed to it enough and well enough. 
And so that should happen. I think there's going to be a great blessing. I know this. I mentioned there was unusual blessing for me as I've gone through it. When I preached it eight, nine years ago, I'll tell you there was very special blessing. Two weeks or so ago, somebody walked up. I had not mentioned. It was before I even mentioned that I was going to be teaching on Revelation. Somebody came up. They were from out of town, out of state. And they said, I just got to tell you how my life has been blessed. I have just finished listening to your series on Revelation you did a decade ago. Oh, my goodness. Somebody who was in the service at 9 o'clock came up to me and said, look, I've got the, I've got the outlines right here. Oh, uh, let me tell you. I, he said, I've said over and over and over again, this is, the, this is the best series for me I've ever had in this church out of the many, many years I've been here. I know everyone doesn't feel that way about the book of Revelation. Well, I don't want my mind to be stretched. and all, But let me tell you, there is a blessing. You don't want to miss the blessing. Now we come to, we come to number four. And by the way, as you turn to number four and look at it, uh, let me say, I hope you're inviting friends to church every week. We should be. We should not take something that is beneficial to us and say, I want to hold it for me and don't want others to have it. Uh, that would not be serving others well. But as we invite people to church and you have your one shot and I wonder when I'll invite them, if you're going to hold, just wait till Palm Sunday and Easter. If you're going to invite them, be sure and invite them then. I'll say this, if somebody's depressed, somebody's going through a depression that's circumstantial depression, I very often said, can I give you the overview of the book of Revelation? You're a Christian. Let me, let me try to help you see your struggle in the perspective of God's revealed plan. It can make a difference. Now, number four. Number four. The revelation was given for the church of all ages and of all places. You say, well, whoa, you just said that a while ago. You've already taught that. Well, look at verse 4. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. Now, the seven churches, the reason I wanted to introduce this again here is because it's in verse 4 that we get the, the understanding of these seven churches. Now, if, if, you have, if you have listened to others, you know, that have taught on, in a different perspective, my suggestion would be forget everything you heard. And at the same time, I have to say, but I can be wrong, right? Absolutely. Any Christian can be wrong. I will say this. You're going to hear many who are teaching this say, well, this first church represents this first age in history, and the second church, the second age in history, and the third church, and there's seven ages in history, and this is the last one, and then Jesus comes back, and so forth. Now, the perspective that we're hearing in these book series and the uh, you know, Great Lake Planet Earth and, and all of those, that is most common to all of us. You've got to know that that is, it's been written very Western and very recently. In other words, that this whole perspective that we're so familiar with in our society as a Christian church in America today, that whole understanding was, was only a 150 years maybe, and not even that long, really it's about a 140 or so years, 50 maybe. I mean, it's very recent. You, you would never heard that teaching prior to that. You wouldn't hear that teaching in the rest of the world. It's so Western in perspective. It's a perspective that says, oh good, we don't have to go through tribulation and that's wonderful. 
You go to the people in, in certain countries of the world and tell the Christians in there, by the way, there's good news for you. There's no tribulation for you. They look at you like you're crazy. You say, where are you from, America? And so please know this, though can be wrong, history is certainly on the side of which you're being taught in this series. The seven churches. The seven churches are going to be listed in verse 11, and they're going to be addressed in chapters 2 and 3. Why in the world do you plop this down? You have this introduction, chapter 1, getting you all set up and ready for it. Chapter 4 and 5 explain the whole big picture, and then the next chapters throughout, they're going to explain the detail of it. Why in the world does he start addressing seven churches, six of which are in a pretty pathetic state to some degree, and they're being challenged, and we'll read that and say, well, I don't like to be challenged because that church has some of my sins. That's the very point. That is the very point. You see, the truth of it is that you're going to read in these seven churches as we go through them, you're going to see yourself in it. And these are people that are not fighting the way they need to be fighting in the faith. The church, yes, but not fighting. Some of them are fighting, but they're fighting in a hypocritical manner. Others are just not even fighting. They just surrender. They say, I don't care. I'm compromising. The integrity of people missing in the church. And, and Jesus is going to call it out in this revelation. But what this church is to do, these churches are to do is to show us our church in all ages and all places. That's the way it works. We sin in the same way. You see, I did a series not too awfully long ago that was really a series to teach you how to fight. I've done another series now recently that has taught you how do you get strong so that when you do fight, you can win. You've got to have not just the means of fighting, you've got to have the strength to fight. But you know what? You may have the means and you may have the strength, but I'll tell you what, you may choose not to fight at all. I don't know why I'm just not going to fight. I could probably win. I don't know if I could or not, but you know, I'm not fighting. Hold on. That's what this series will do for us because this is going, this is going to show us that why wouldn't we fight? This is going to compel us to fight. I, anybody that's socially close with me and, and we interact much at all, you probably know of me that I do not care much for board games and card games. I have no place for them. I just don't enjoy them, period. Now, it happens to be that I'm married to an addict of board games and cards. Now, she doesn't give in to her addiction. She just craves it all the time. And she can't give in because she has no one to play with her most of the time. Because I just don't, do, I said, okay, I just don't want to do that. Well, as I was renewing my, my life plan this year at the first of the year and so forth, I, I thought, you know what, I, I want to engage with Carol as, as, a, as good a husband. And I know one thing that would delight her, and that's if I just played some games with her. And so here we have our snow in, we have no night activities, and so we finish our dinner and I say, Carol, would you like to play a board game or a card game? She has to check my temperature, make sure I'm okay, you know, and actually, she said, you really going to play? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll play a card game with you. And so she pulls out the cards and, and we play this game. 
The next night, we finish our dinner, and I say, Carol, would you like to play cards again? Now, this is too much to be. I'm sure she's got to be thinking, because she loves it, this is a delight. This is wonderful. So we play a second time. Now, we played a game that our daughter introduced to us, or to Carol, um, Skip Bow. Some of you ever played Skip Bow? I see some heads say yes. If you've never heard of Skip Bow, that's okay. You've not missed anything. But uh, <laughs> anyway, we're playing Skip Bow. I'm not going to go through the rules of the game, but basically each of you have a stack of cards, and you want to eliminate your cards. The first one eliminates them, you know, they win. So we've been playing this game for 20 minutes, 25, 30, I don't know how long. And, and uh, Carol has one card left. And I have about 782 cards. I'm not sure how many. But I know it's over. But I could make a move that would uh, give me the, you know, the advantage of that particular move. And so instead, I put my card down in a way that caused her to win. And she looks at me and she says, you, that was not, you did that just to end the game. I said, that's correct. <laughs> I mean, now here's the truth though. If you really want to know the truth... If I had a word from the Lord for sure that I would win if I kept playing, I would have kept playing. Not because I just enjoy cards or I enjoy that game, but I enjoy those few opportunities that I get to beat Carol in something. <laughs> this would be my chance. And I would probably endure that and say, let's keep playing because I would know I'm going to win this game. The truth of it is, I knew I was going to lose. I had no hope, and therefore, I'm not fighting. And that's where a lot of us would be today. How can we believe with the experiences of life that we've undergone? How can we believe with what the prognosis is and the evidence says about and the indicator that the job is or isn't and this and how is it that we're going to say, let's fight, let's fight hard, let's go for it, unless we believe we're going to win. We're going to win this thing. And that we understand that even the setbacks and the obstacles and the pain and the struggle, it's all there as part of a design that is far better than anything we could ever imagine until we read the revelation and we can put it in perspective. So let's close with this. As we come to this series, it is the revelation of Jesus. I said earlier in the message, why? Because he is the one that enables all of this to be realized. Do you know how that happens? You're going to see it in chapter 5 on Easter. But the reason it's going to be realized is because this one called the Lion of Judah is willing to be the Lamb of God. And he goes to the cross as the lamb, knowing he didn't have to because he's the lion. But he goes to the cross and he pays the penalty of sin for all of his people throughout all time so that we can be brought into a family to receive a plan that gives us an understanding that everything is going to be all right. That's what's so beautiful about this. And so let me say to you that are seeking to understand the faith and so forth, go to Jesus. Go to the cross. Observe what he's done. Investigate why he's done it. 
begin to see his love, and then you get drawn into his family, and you get drawn into his family, and then you get the privilege of being blessed by being a recipient of the plan that he has. So Christian, you're going to go through this series. Let's hang tight in it. Let's keep up when you have to miss. Get the podcast. Purchase the CD. Whatever you need, the podcast is free, but get it. And let's keep up with this series. And let's prepare and ask that by the time we come to Easter, that we're going to understand that the Lamb was the only one who could come and take a scroll, which is God's plan for the history of his world and for the good of the church. And only he can unroll that scroll and execute his plan to perfection only because he's the Lamb of God. That's the great news. It's the gospel. It's the good news that Christ has done it for us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we would, we would ask that we might journey well through these weeks, that we might hang through and we might be blessed. Make it a blessing to all of us. That would be our request, a great blessing. Father, may you be honored because we took your revelation and we embraced it fully. Thank you. And we ask this in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen.